Christ above all, above all Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're turning over the halfway point. We've gone through Colossians 1 and 2 in the series, and now we're moving on to Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. We want to read it, and, um, and then we want to discuss it. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you, and uh, pull it out, and uh, we will go through this as we read verses 1 through 9 this morning. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 9. If then you have been raised with Christ, verse 1, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. Let's pray. Precious Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it's truth, and we thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And we ask, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would, through the power of your spirit, you would take the word of God and you would use it to divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. And we ask, Lord God, that you would teach us your word. Everything that we say and do here this morning in the next few moments would be in reflection of what you want to say and do. And I pray, Lord God, that we would understand what it is to live a new life in Jesus Christ. And help us to put on new, because you do bring restoration. And as always, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So I went to an amusement park um, a little while back, a couple weeks ago, and um, I saw this couple, and they were about 13 or 14. I guess it's the only place they could be alone kind of with us and thousands of other people. I don't understand. As they were holding each other in line and whispering sweet nothings to each other, as you see these little teenage loves do. And I remember standing in line with my kids saying, look over there, look over there, as they're all <laughs> in line. And um, I remember the, the boy kind of looked back, and he looked at her in the eyes, and he said, I would die for you. And I just started laughing. 
<laughs> because I was thinking, man, like that's the most romantic thing he could say in this moment at this amusement park with thousands of other people. I would die for you. And I, and, I, and I started thinking, you know what? My wife, she doesn't want me to die for her. She wants me to live for her so that I can change a poopy diaper at five in the morning, so that I can mow the lawn, so that I can clean up the house. She wants me to live for her. The reality is most of us think that the show of commitment is our death. And there's a point to our death. Like we have to die. And the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And when we come to Jesus Christ, we die to our old selves. But the reality is we don't stay dead. If Christ just died on the cross for our sins, we don't, you know, and that was the end of the story, we would look and say, well, there's lots of people that die. No, the great part of the story is that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. It was his life. Christ now lives for us. In fact, he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercession for us now. Because the devil is accusing us day and night, and he is making intercession for us. No, the ultimate demonstration of love is not our death, but our life. The ultimate demonstration in your devotion to God is not your death for God. It's your life for God. See, one is an ultimate one-time choice. The other is a lifetime of choices demonstrating our commitment day in and day out, when we feel like it or when we don't feel like it. That is a demonstration of our love. For our spouses, that's a demonstration of our love for our, in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul now moves from this idea of being disqualified in, the, in, in, in legalism and the idea of Pastor Joey, what he shared on last week, of, of dying to yourself and and basically fearing God is how you die to yourself and that process. And at the very end of chapter 2, I want you to just look at that last verse because Paul didn't write with chapters and verses in mind. He, he basically just was writing a continual thought. But as he finished out in chapter 2, the last verse in 23 says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, period, new sentence, but not new thought. If then you have been raised with Christ. See, a little earlier he said you died with Christ. And now he's saying if you have been raised with Christ. So what the Apostle Paul's doing is he's connecting Christ's life with our life. And so now, what is it to live for Christ? What does it mean for us to live in our relationship with Christ if you are now lived, living with Christ? Now, the little word if means Paul's not assuming that everyone is a Christian. Paul's not assuming everyone has a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Paul's not assuming everyone has believed and received the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And Jesus Christ bodily rose from the grave. And we have to repent, believe, and receive the message of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, into our lives. And that should change us and transform us, making us more like Jesus Christ. And if it's not working to make us more like Jesus Christ, Romans 8, verse 9, then probably the Spirit of Christ is not in us. It's not what I'm saying. It's what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans. And so now the Apostle Paul here in Colossians is saying, if then you have been raised with Christ... So if you are a Christian raised with newness of life in Jesus Christ, then this is for you. This is for me. He says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. There's four new changes that Christ makes in our life because we have been raised with Christ. And if you're taking notes, I want to write it down. Now, the lines are too short. I confess that before you begin. And so as you fill it in, you might have to like write in the, the, the side. So for all you OCD people, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I tried to fill it in last night, and I was frustrated with myself. But here we go. Here's four things. Number one, the new change that comes is that Christ gives us, when we connect Christ's life with my life, there's a new focus and thoughts that come. Number one. That's what the Apostle Paul says here in verse two. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. There's new focus, new thoughts. If you're alive in Jesus Christ... Your focus in your thoughts should be different. Your focus in your thoughts should not be on the here and now. Your focus in your thoughts shouldn't be on what's happening to you. Your focus in your thoughts should not be on everything around you. In fact, the Apostle Paul is saying your focus in thoughts should be on the things above. Because those are the things that don't change. Everything else in this world is going to change. Your circumstances, your events of the day are going to change every moment of every day in this life. And if you focus on those things, it's going to lead to a lot of insecurity, a lot of frustration. And look, in chapter 2, he was talking about legalism, a lot of focus on oneself. See, here's the deal. If I focus on myself not to sin, or if I focus on my surroundings, or if I focus on my circumstances, then I'm not focused on who? Christ. And the Apostle Paul's saying, listen, focus your attention on Christ. So that, that old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, when I focus my attention on Jesus Christ, the wake we leave behind are the good works. The wake we leave behind, for all you boaters, the wake you leave behind is the things that God wants you to do. 
The focus isn't on the good works themselves. Because at the end of the day, that's a selfish motivation. The focus is on Christ. And when I set my mind on the things of Christ or the things above, this new focus makes life clear and gives me perspective. See, he gives me the new focus to love Christ and to glorify God. John 14, 15, Jesus is, is promising that if we love Jesus, then we will keep his commandments. He said, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Stop focusing on keeping the commandments and start focusing on loving Jesus, and you'll do both. The focus sometimes is keeping, if we focus on keeping God's commandments, I got to do the right thing, or focusing on not sinning, what are we really focusing in on? We're focusing on ourselves, and we're focusing on what we're trying to do. Let me free you right now. If you're focusing on not sinning right now in your mind, or you go through your Christian life every day and your focus is to do the right thing, you're focused on the wrong thing. The Apostle Paul's saying, set your mind on things above. If you set your mind on the things above, guess what? The things on the earth really aren't going to make that much of a difference. They're not going to matter as much. You're not going to be affected by them as much. Because you recognize that everything on this earth is temporary, but Christ is eternal. You recognize that the circumstances aren't forever. They're eventually going to come to an end. And this should give you joy. This should give you happiness. This should give you satisfaction. Because when you're over there trying not to sin or to live in legalism, you're shifting your focus on the one that made all things new. Legalism or law-keeping is not genuine holiness. Remember the apostle Peter, he, he was saying in 1 Peter, he says, be holy, he quotes, from Leviticus, he says, be holy for I am holy. God says, be holy for I am holy. God wants us to be holy. He wants us to live set apart. But he doesn't want us to focus on keeping the law to be holy. The nation of Israel and the children of Israel tried to do that, and they failed miserably. It's why Christ came. And he came to free us. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7 it says, what shall we say then, that the law is sin? No, by no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would, have not, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said you shall not covet. I'm not saying that the law is sin, but I'm saying legalism and the law, all they do is provide us the riverbanks to know whether or not we're living with God or not. We're not to live on the riverbanks. We're supposed to jump in the water and allow the Spirit of God to flow in our lives so that we experience freedom and movement. To stand on the riverbanks is to be bored, to be miserable. See, genuine holiness is found in focusing new focus and new thoughts upon Jesus Christ by loving and glorifying God. Legalism, or focusing and trying to live the right way 
and do the right thing or behavior modification is like a zip tie. It always tightens, but it never goes back. And you keep tightening and tightening and tightening, thinking you're more and more godly, and it's just making you more and more miserable. And the only way you can break the legalism is to cut it like a zip tie. You can't go back. You just have to cut the zip tie and get a new one. And the reality is that God wants us to not live legalistic. He wants us to live in our new life in Jesus Christ, and that means a new focus and new thoughts upon Christ seated at the right hand of God. How many of you guys have heard, not by show of hands, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? It's a bunch of caca. It's wrong. Because here's the deal. When we are heavenly minded, Christ makes us earthly good. We do the things he's called us to do. We do the things that God wants us to do each and every day because we're so focused on Christ and pleasing Christ. And what does Christ tell us to do? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. What does Christ tell us to do? Love your enemies. What does Christ tell us to do? We do the things that Christ wants us to do because we're focused on Christ. To not focus on Christ is not to do what he's called us to do, but to live under the yoke and the legalism. The new thoughts are to think on Jesus Christ, eternity, and heaven. What do we think about? When's the last time you just sat and thought about Jesus Christ and what he did for you? When's the last time you just thought about the cross, moment by moment, play by play in your head? Or his glorious resurrection or his interaction with his disciples? One of the reasons why we don't do this is because we don't spend time reading the Word of God. And if we're not reading the Word of God, how can we think on the things of God? We don't have, we fill our minds watching television and movies and all of these things and entertainment. And what happens is we don't have the, we don't have the catalog of thoughts of what Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. And what he's done. Eternity. Heaven. When's the last time you just thought about Heaven. When's the last time you just thought about it? Walking the streets of gold, the crystal sea. You can read about it in Revelation, what it looks like. Isaiah 6, the throne room of God. When's the last time you just thought about heaven? That motivates me because that's where I want to be. I want to be with the Lord. I love in the voyage of the Don Treader when... Aslan, who's the Christ figure, tells Lucy she can't come back to Narnia. And she's devastated. And she said, oh, Aslan. And she's crying. She said, it's not Narnia that I love, it's you. See, the idea of what makes heaven so great is not the streets of gold and the crystal sea and all of that stuff. It's that Christ is there. And you can have uninterrupted fellowship with Christ forever. To know him and to learn of him. To be with him. These are the thoughts that we should be thinking. These are the things that should capture our imagination and our minds. 
These should be the first thoughts in the morning that we think about, the last thoughts at night before we go to sleep, because the reality is though that is really who you are. What you think about is who you are. If you're thinking about something all of the time, that's what you're going to become. So if I think about Christ and I set my mind on the things of Christ, I hope to become like Christ one day. The second thing, the second change that Christ makes in connecting Christ's life with my life is a new life now and a future life. I have that was amazing. I didn't even do anything. I love that. That means one of those worship leaders are in the back messing around. That's what that means. Um, second thing is my new life now and my future life. Christ becomes our life now and glory will await. Look at verses 3 and 4. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ... And I love this little phrase. If you, have, if you have a pen or pencil, underline this. When Christ, who is your life, appears. So if you've been raised with Christ, Christ should be your life. If Christ is not your life, then there's something wrong. So verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your new life is now. Eternal life doesn't begin when I die. Eternal life begins when Christ comes and lives inside me. That's when my eternal life has begun. Christ is now inside you. You are walking, you are walking now with the eternal life. To be absent from this body is just to be present with the Lord, is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Christ becomes our life now, and glory will await. So therefore, the things that we're thinking about change what we're doing now. So new life. Christ becomes our life as we humble ourselves in appreciation, respect, and honor. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. New life means that there is a, an enjoyment in this life that we're to enjoy. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that. No, my new life is now. I get to enjoy life now. Why? Because Christ is in me. He's the hope of glory. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 14 talks about our enjoyment or this new freedom that we have in Christ he says, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. This is Solomon writing this, the wisest man and king that ever lived. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in his time. 
He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. So not only has he, does he want us to think about it, he set it in our hearts, eternity. That each of them, I'm sorry, from being from the beginning, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to or taken from it. God does it so people will fear him. Have you ever watched like beer commercials? Like, and they're like, everybody's got like, ah, remember that, like the, this Bud's for you? Yeah! And then the beer commercials, everybody's all dancing and partying and having this great time. And you watch it and you're like, man, they look like they're having fun. And the alcohol is flowing. Woo! And then the camera's shut off and then they all run to the toilets and they're throwing up from the hangover the next morning. And they just don't show the next day. They don't, they don't show, you know, or shopping commercials. Everybody's having so much fun as you walk around. Want this. Need this. Don't you see this? They don't show, like, the credit card bill. Oh, my. Or the debt that's incurred. See, the focus is on the immediate sometimes in the negative and the beer commercials. See, when we set our mind and our thoughts upon Christ, when we live for Christ, then the life that we live now is supposed to be enjoyable. We're supposed to enjoy the fruits of our labor. We're supposed to enjoy the toils. The toil so that we can reap the reward. Sometimes here, sometimes it's in heaven. But he says, this is the gift of God. Find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Probably pretty soon there'll be marijuana commercials. It's legal. <laughs> and, and people looking and going, man, they're, they're killing their brain cells and people are all excited about this. And the reality is happy and fun and exciting is not so without Christ. In Christ, happy, fun, and exciting is eternal. And when we set our minds on the things that are eternal, then the enjoyment we have in life is just a foretaste of what's to come. We have a new future. Life with Christ. It's not an eternal separation from God and hell. C.S. Lewis said this and he said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards God's promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, God has 
joy now for those that are alive and new in Jesus Christ because God has connected our life here in Christ with his life and eternity. Third thing is this, new power and freedom over sensual desires. So now that we're new in Jesus Christ, now that we're, that, that we're thinking on the right things, that Christ gives us new thoughts to think about, new life to, to live, a new focus, now we have a new power that comes with this. When you're dead, you can't fight. I know that's shocking for some of you. When you're dead, spiritually, you can't fight. In fact, the Bible says you're a slave to sin. And, you, and, and there's nothing you can do because you cannot help but choose to sin over and over and over and over again. But when you invite your life, when you invite Christ to be your life, Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Then verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in your sexual, Im in you. And what, what do we have to put to death? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. See, he's given us a new power and freedom over these sensual desires, but new freedom means new fight. The new power comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes, it's the work of Jesus on the cross. It's the power of the resurrection. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. But this new freedom, this new power comes with a new fight. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, though. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, he was talking about legalism in the context. But as you're looking at it, he's saying, look, you don't have to be a slave to the things of this world anymore. Christ has set us free. But you have to stand firm and recognize that every day your sin calls you. Every day the jail cell is open that you can walk back in and reside there. There's no difference in the jail cell. The only difference when you are in Jesus Christ is the jail cell door is open and you don't have to live there anymore and nobody's making you do what you, had, you once had to do. Now you have the choice to walk out and live in freedom. For those of us that are in Christ, that's the freedom that we get to experience. But the problem is we have to fight. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Apostle Paul's saying, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you can engage in the fight. If the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you're spiritually dead, you cannot fight. 
And here in Colossians chapter 3, he's saying, put to death, therefore, the earthly desires. Put them to death because now your new life gives you new power and new freedom. The final thing is this. The final new is this. It's a new reminder of the old life. Christ received the wrath of God for our old life, our old self, and our old sins. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for every sin, past, present, and future. If, if you're here this morning and you, weren't, and you weren't here a few weeks ago, we nailed our sins to the cross. What's the, what's the sin that best defined you? And you nailed it to the cross. The problem is, it's to stay on the cross. The problem is, is us. We go back. We forget that we are now new. We forget that now we are alive in Jesus Christ, that we don't have to go back to the old life. Every sin that Christ, that I committed, Christ paid for on the cross, past, present, and future. Look what it says in verse 6. On account of these, that's the sins that he just named, the wrath of God is coming. It's not coming for us. It's coming for those that are unrepentant that continue to live and embrace those sins. It's not who you are. And that's what he says in verse 7. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. So this idea that, yes, there is the old life. It is still there. It does still haunt us. It does still affect us. But the reality is now we have Christ and the Holy Spirit of Christ to live in newness of life. Christ received the wrath for those sins. When you repent, believe, and receive the gospel or Jesus Christ into your life, guess what? You don't have to worry about those anymore because the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. And so therefore, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, misguided worship, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. If you're taking notes, there's another line there. And in parentheses it says, your pet sin. What do I mean by that? What's the sin that you used to run to when you were lost? What's the sin that so defined you? What's the sin that you nailed to the cross that continues to plague you? My wife, I got her a puppy. It's the brother to Pastor Sean's puppy. It's a good puppy. His name's Copper. He's little. And uh, my wife likes to take him everywhere that she can. When she drives, he sits on the lap. I don't get it. I don't understand the fascination. She wants to sleep with the dog. I said, well, I can't sleep with the dog. She goes, well, we're going to miss you. Um, <laughs> no, she didn't say that. But the reality is she really loves this dog. And the idea, though, is, is this dog is little. It's a puppy. It's sweet. The dog's going to get bigger. 
And a lot of times sin starts off like that in our life and we have this little pet sin or we have this thing and, and we think that we can contain it and control it. But as you continue to feed this sin, what's going to happen is it grows and grows and grows. And the little puppy, the little pet sin that you had, it's going to grow into a massive mastiff. It slobbers everywhere and takes up everything. And if you keep feeding it, It'll be a mastiff times 20, times 50, and it eventually will crowd you out. Well, the old life, the old nature still exists, Romans 7. The issue is that the Apostle Paul's talking about is now you have a new nature, a new life. And the question is, is how are you going to live in it? Christ has set us free from our sin. It's time for us to stop running back. It's time for us to stop looking back. Why would we think it's okay with God to live and have habitual sins in our lives? Sin that we commit over and over and over and over and over again. And over, after a while, we stop even repenting and asking God to forgive us. We just start embracing it and justifying it. And we give God 99% of our life, but that 1%, that little pet sin, you can have everything but this, God. Reminds me of those, those turn-of-the-century Russians that gave their life to Christ. There was this captain of this special forces unit in Russia. There were these swordsmen and these horsemen, well-renowned. Well and the captain got saved, and he wanted all his men to get saved, and and then they all were going to get baptized. So they, so they all prayed the prayer, and then they all went down to the lake to get baptized. And he made them all pull out their swords, and everything went under the water but their sword. To say, I'm committed to Christ, but I still have my sword. If you're going under the water and you're saying, God, my life is yours, I'm living in freedom for you, and you're going under the water and you're holding one thing up, then you're not living for the Lord. You're not living in this new life in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's your wallet. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's whatever it is. Repent from your sins. Never look back. Never go back. Live free. Most of us will believe on Christ, but if we have not died first, we will never live with him. Some of us want to live in this idea that we can control, or this illusion that we can control our lives. That we can stop sinning whenever we want to. And the reality is, no, the beginning, is, the beginning of it is the point that we're to live in freedom. And to live in freedom means to focus our attention upon Christ. We have to embrace Christ. You can't control your life. You can control your life or you can have Christ. You can't have both. If you think you can control your life and have Christ, you're gravely mistaken. No, my life is Christ. I have a life. It's Jesus Christ. He lives in me. Now, my old nature still creeps up, and there's still this battle and this fight that takes place. And so I confess that sin. 
and I live in my new life. And every time that sin or sins continue to come back in, I confess my sins. And 1 John 1, 9 says, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's that focus that I give to Christ and Christ alone. God has connected Christ's life with my life. Why would I want to mess that up? Why would I want to disconnect from him because of the love of a sin or because of something else? Bring up Galatians 5.1 again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christian, Christ has made you free. Live free. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, we're going to pray a prayer in a few moments. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the words, or the words themselves. It's, it's, it's you connecting your life to Christ's life and complete and total surrender. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here and you would say, you know what, I have that pet sin and I need to get rid of it. I take it everywhere with me. Confess your sins today. There's a prayer chapel if you need to talk with somebody about it, if you need someone to counsel you, if you need someone to, to, to sit and just chat with you for a bit, to pray with you. We have a new nature. We have a new life. But it doesn't mean the old life is gone. It's a back and forth sometimes. But that lets us know that God lives in us. Let's pray. Precious Father, I thank you for the men and women that are here. I pray, Lord God, that if someone here doesn't know you, that very simply they would invite you into their life. They would ask for forgiveness for their sins, whatever the sins that they've held to. And they would say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. And by faith, I receive him into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. It's in the name of Jesus. For those of you that are struggling with that one sin, pray this prayer. Say, Lord, I know that I've come to you a thousand times, a million times, asking for forgiveness for this sin but I come once more and I ask that I would live in this new life. Fill me. Take control of my life. Lord Jesus, be my life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.